As you're listening to the following music selections, adjust the volume, bass, and treble controls to suit your tastes. Today's episode of Android's Dungeon. JJB. He's B I I S. Back in. Oops, I screwed up. Back in the studio. Pretend I put a T in there. Joel, 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 Brian, Twilight Struggle, Twilight Imperium, and the world premiere. An Android's Dungeon exclusive. Stay tuned. Welcome to Android Dungeon on CFRU 93.3 FM, broadcasting at the University of Guelph, Guelph, Ontario. You can listen to us online, CFRU.ca, or you can go to any of the popular podcasting websites. Not the unpopular ones, because they're bad. And, uh, you know, we have standards on this show, in case you haven't noticed by that introduction. Um, That's absolutely right. <laughs> don't, <laughs> I don't even know what the podcast sites are, what the good ones are, or the bad ones, to be honest. What's the most popular one? iTunes is probably the king, right? Yeah, Google Podcasts and iTunes. Yeah, and um, and Pocket Casts is, or is that the Android one, or is that yep. just like a third party one that's on both? I know that Pocket Casts exists. That's the extent of my knowledge. <laughs> it's around. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, Android Dungeon is a show about games, music, movies, uh, whatever we feel like as we are uh, coming into the studio, up to and including the crazy weather we've been having. I'm surprised we made it, Joel. I'm surprised we made it, and you know, I was thinking, you know. Sometimes it's tough. <clears throat> the sun. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna reveal some spoilers to our uh, to our audience here. I'm sorry, but sometimes ninety nine percent of the time we're here live on a Thursday, right? <laughs> always, always. Don't call though, because we don't answer. We're too popular. Once in a while, we'll record the show before. <laughs> I don't know if you know. It's just- I know. We're Only gonna, when we're desperate. There's going to be some feelings of betrayal out there, I'm sure. Betrayal of the house on the hill. <laughs> That's the third time someone's referenced that this week. It's weird. <laughs> Bad feelings. But yeah. it's tough to kind of jump into into game mode and talking about game mode when you've just been on the grind at work. And, yeah. and the snow today yeah. on this Thursday afternoon. <laughs> yes. Look, at it's snowing out like crazy, folks. Be careful. Ugh. It's the end of It's the end of February. We made it. But it's, look, I, I think it's been a, a, a tough winter, but it's not a, I don't think it's been especially crazy. I feel like it's been colder in previous winters where you're just like, it was bitterly, bitterly cold. And I feel like we got that November, yep. I think of all times where it was just like miserable sort of like eyeball freezing temperature where you're just like, I, why am I outside? This is just painful. It's just, we've just had so much snow and ice. That's the thing yeah. that's been bad this, this season, as far as I'm concerned. I think I'm finally really accustomed to it. You know, it's like, I hear people now saying like, I'm ready for spring and I'm super sick of this. And a yeah. lot of memes and posts about yeah, yeah. how tired of winter they are. It's not really that bad. Look, I'm not happy when my back is screwed up from having to shovel 
or yeah. I have to take a metal shovel and sort of like, I feel like I'm, I'm working in a mine or something because <laughs> the bloody plow went by at some weird hour and it's just, don't worry, it iced up on you. So now you can't even get out, get out of the driveway without yeah. like having to take an ax to the. See, I feel the same way. And then I think, you know what? I don't really exercise in any way. So <laughs> that is a is total dedicated listener. Z- Joel is lying. <laughs> I think he runs more than anyone. Um, yeah. Well, aside from somebody who runs every day, but chasing a ball around, <laughs> chasing a count. ball. <laughs> he just doesn't know what to do if he catches it. <laughs> no, he puts in the goal. That's what he does. That's anyway, right, every time. Um, Hattie. Pardon me. Triple Hattie. Yeah, so you, well, we, I don't know if we should branch off into the sports <laughs> side of things because those games are too real and people can relate to those. But yeah. uh, So you get one ball. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's a real time, <laughs> real time strategy game. Real time strategy game. You line the people up and then, uh, it's so it's foosball. <laughs> worker placement Work, soccer. Worker displacement. There is a, um, there's a game I've always wanted to try that it's, um, it's called, baseball highlights 20 2049 or something along there and it's it's a it's a deck building game but it's set in a world of baseball where robots are playing baseball hmm. and i guess you're you're building up your roster and you're playing the cards and you're 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 recreating this futuristic goofy game of baseball using the deck building elements and i've heard great things about it as um, cool. as far as games go but for sounds some reason su- i keep forgetting about it sounds super familiar i can remember playing one just like that on the snes oh yeah where it was uh, robots, and you have, you know, you got a thing coming up with just an arm. Right. And it's swinging the bat. Oh, interesting. Um, and then it just goes on a little treadmill down to first. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> There's some of the sports games were fun. I prefer the arcadier ones. Like, and I, I, I don't mind watching somebody who really knows how to play a sports game, a yeah. video game, because I cannot be, I find it utterly confusing and dull and not interesting at all to look at versus someone who, like, for example... We I, we I, we used to have some friends who lived in London, and uh, I remember staying with him once, and he was playing one of these dumb NHL versions, like we'll say any NHL uh, fourteen or fifteen, sure. and um, <clears throat> he was playing it online. I think his bro- with his brother on a team, and they were playing against um, some other guy somewhere. But it was like watching an actual hockey game almost, because yeah. like there was sometimes it's hard. It was difficult, but there was enough twists and turns, and there's enough skill required because they were good enough that they're playing against other people who are good enough. And it didn't feel like this is one of the big problems I have with some of these online games that get very popular, like let's say Dota or League of Legends or Counter Strike. When the, the pro leagues for that stuff is, it's it's pure the the game, pure sort of like oh here are the little gimmicks. Oh this guy is kind of breaking this in this way. Versus the hockey games, as far as I could tell, was like no, you have to actually play hockey more or less yep. and that's what i enjoyed watching versus really twitchy ugly looking like sc2 sort of yeah. i can't pay attention to any of i think a lot of like when we watch like if i were to watch league of legends right now i would miss a lot of the impressive stuff yeah exactly it's stuff. hockey we can get yeah it's like you can look at that and it's like oh did you see how he duked or juked out that guy and then like that great pass back there and yeah. put it in the top corner like that's Everyone can relate versus yeah, like yeah. Sports, sports. If you notice, he, he animation canceled on this creep, causing it to glitch a little bit into the opponent, which ate the blast. It was something else. Uh, or, uh, what, uh, castosis or what? I'm screwing up. Tastosis. Tastosis. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Joel, what have you been playing recently? I've been deep into the Twilights. So Twilight Imperium, Twilight Struggle is my first real life game of Twilight Struggle. Twilight Imperium's probably six or seven games i'd say really you played that many yeah wow okay so twilight struggle give us a rundown of what twilight struggle is well 
a little bit of background. We were uh, on that good old Guelph Board Gamers, and if you're interested in board gaming in Guelph, uh, definitely join it. It's getting a little bit more popular, and we're happy about that. Because we run it with admins. Jack's, uh, Jack's got his uh, name up at the top. Yeah, my, my real name. <laughs> the post pinned. Anyway, um... Yeah, so a, a new person joined, and he said that, uh, what was it, Mage Knight was his favorite game? Yeah, which is a very unusual pick for somebody to kind of, like, it instantly raises an eyebrow. It's like, oh, this is not your average bear right here. Yeah, and a serious guy. And I'll tell you one thing, what I learned about him <laughs> is that he loves one verse many. Oh, interesting. That was really interesting because we just talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. He's got Fury of Dracula. Yeah. He's got... Uh, Spectre Ops. Um, Spectre Ops. They're, they're escaping me, but, you know, he's got the, uh, what's that, uh, Scotland Yard. Yeah. Anyway, he's, he sends a post out. He says, does anybody here play Mage Knight or Twilight Struggle? Well, I've played it on Steam. Yeah. So, here we go. I'm basically a veteran. <laughs> yeah. So, this would be my first uh, delve not only into Twilight Struggle itself, but into a GMT game in RL. Mm-hmm. So it was very exciting for me. I uh, arranged a time on a Sunday afternoon when uh, my wife was away and everybody was not doing anything. <laughs> so I walked over to his place, which is just well, not too far from us. On yeah, the yeah, side yeah. Of the park. no, give us the exact address. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you get his social insurance number while you were there? And uh, yeah, his, his kids are hanging out. And kids, whoa. And he, he's got the table all set up, which is always nice. Perfect. Fast forwarding to Twilight Imperium, we didn't start until an hour and a half after Twilight we, Struggle. No, fast forwarding to Twilight. Oh, Imperium, you're comparing. Okay. We didn't start until an hour and a half after the start time. And everything was set up. We had to set everything up. So to have that time shaved off by somebody preparing when you when you get there, the game's all set up. Okay, well, we, I have to interrupt for a second. This yeah. is an Android Dungeon PSA, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm going to give a specific shout-out to <clears throat> Karen and Chloe over in England. Thank you for listening. If you are going to invite people over to play a game, and it is a big, bloody game, it, set it up. Have some things ready to go. Like, if it's, I'm not talking about something that's like quick setup and takedown, but if you can have things kind of arranged out and you're not sitting there opening up little baggies and putting things out... Yep. You are going to save every. You're going to save yourself some time. You're going to make people happy, and you can just dive right into. It, especially if you're you're teaching a game as well. Yeah, I'll give a shout out to my co-host here. He is very reliable and good with us. Jack, uh, every time we come to learn a new game. Oh, like, wow. example, I wasn't looking for uh, aspats here, but I'm happy. <laughs> Mari Nostrum. Right? Well, that was we yeah, all had to show up at various times related to the time that you asked us to come. Yeah. And it's all there. It's all laid out, and we just we just jump right in. And Joel's very good with this as well. Like, and it just you got to do it. Believe me, if yeah. you if you can't be bothered to set up the game when people are coming, and it's one thing to be like, I don't know if people are coming, and it's a giant game. Like, I'm not. Are, are people maybe gonna play like Mega Civ? I'm not setting up all that <laughs> yeah. stuff just on. But if you know people are coming, do it. Yeah, like when we had the 18 player game here at the university, you needed to be set. We up. were 45 minutes early to get it going. Right? Had to, otherwise, anyway. Good gaming etiquette. Yes. So Hassan, our good host of Twilight Struggle, was uh, an observer of this, and he had it all set up. You know, he had it all ready so that you know uh, USSR is on one side and U- US is on the other. If you don't know Twilight Struggle, it's one v one only two player game 
asymmetrical. Beautiful. And was the number one game on Board Game Geek for about 10 years. Which is crazy to think about that. Yeah. It's still number four or five. It is a recreation of the Cold War as revealed through playable cards. And each card will have an event. Um, and you can either play it for that event or you can play it for its number value, which is in the top left corner. And the number value will allow you to do a variety of things. But one thing you always need to keep in mind is that events for your opponent, for example, if you're the USSR and you play an event that is an American event, for example, NATO is formed, um, you have to trigger that event for your opponent regardless of what you do it for, unless you're just throwing it into space. Yep. And like Joel was saying there, that's the that's where the game really shines in that it's thematically very rich because every card you can, and this is cool, and this is something GMT does an extraordinarily good job about, is that every card you can flip to the back of the manual and it's got an explanation for the historical significance of the card and the background to it. If you're just like, well, what does this mean? I didn't know about tons of stuff. I didn't grow up in yeah. the era. So a lot of these things were like, oh, that's interesting to know about. But the, the, str the strategy of the game, and you can really reduce it down to just like this card, does these changes these numbers to this or yep. the color of this to that but it's all about balancing the it's like i really could use these <laughs> these numbers over here but this triggering will change everything over here yeah but you can anyway i'm getting if, ahead of joel here yeah if you're confused about the numbers that jack is referring to basically what you're looking at is a giant map of the world uh with uh sort of regions of power we'll say so there's asia with a subset of southeast asia mm -hmm. there's europe which is the most important just like in real life yeah. <laughs> there's africa uh there's central america and there's south america and canada is part of europe for is the, the middle east yeah there's the middle east into too, europe. Right? yeah oh in the middle east yeah, yeah. So basically the game is vying for control of each of those regions and you, as one of the cards that you'll get as you go through the deck of cards that are available uh, just says score this region. So you'll just take whatever state it's at and score and sometimes you lose points for it if you're losing in the area. So you really basically it's a <laughs> it's this it's this weird kind of battle between uh, wanting to control that region and not wanting your opponent to know that you want to control that region. <laughs> it's kind of, it's, it's easy to telegraph things a little hard, but yeah, once you, and, and then the rule is if you don't play a scoring card that you had in your hand, you lose the game, which is, it's one of these oddly punitive sort of things there, but I guess it's kind of like if it, cause Twilight Struggle, you have to remember as well has been played competitively. And when I say competitively, I mean, there are actual tournaments every year and people are still figuring out the game and there's like strat the meta evolves like currently yeah. there's we'll get into this later this ain't no terra mystica this game is not solved it's not solved even though there's there's thing there are issues with some of the pre-programmed nature of it where um if you're playing on the computer for example people complain about how the ai isn't good enough so theoretically people have won turn one um just pushing europe just really pushing hard. europe because the computer doesn't respond appropriately in certain mm -hmm. cases but against a human opponent the game is there's the variety of it is just staggering and how you approach it. But anyway. Yeah, it's madness. And, and like even you, you can play strategically as much as you want, but there's still dice involved. You can still, <clears throat> um, for example, he, uh, my opponent's son put down uh, three influence in India and was like, beautiful. I control India. 
I play India-Pakistan war, yeah. roll some dice, get some free victory points, and all of those three points he just put down became mine. Yeah. All right, so you can... Things can swing on a dime. And that's one of the issues with the game. So when Joel just mentioned, I, I play the India-Pakistan war. So each of the cards, like I was saying, linked to history, but they all do different things. And some cards are crazy good and game changers of sorts and need to be applied properly or some are just like sledgehammers others are scalpels that can uh, strategically yeah. cut people off but the biggest weakness of Twilight Struggle is that it is so difficult to because you basically when you're playing card game let's say you're just 52 deck of cards you know the spread you know exactly what's there and you know what they do imagine Twilight Struggle how many cards there are and you're not even keeping in mind what you've got in your deck, but you're trying to keep in mind of what your opponent has yeah. uh, in his deck. And you have to remember there are certain things. So, and you're trying to anticipate, oh, Lord, so if I do this, but Joel uh, plays the, um, I don't know, like self-defense forces in Japan, it's like, I'm done. There's no point, but it rewards players who know the cards versus somebody going in blind. Yep. That's not to say that someone who doesn't know the game isn't going to do well. It's going to be a real twilight struggle for them. It's going to be a lot tougher and some and it's very unforgiving in the sense of if your opponent has kind of gotten a leg up in an area and you've you've let them they can kind of spiral out of control. But. Yeah. Just basically like if you control a region, it costs your opponent two power to put <clears throat> a single thing down in that region until you don't control it anymore. Yeah. So you can imagine there's scenarios where if you want to catch up in an area but things are controlled, if you don't have some special events to do that, you're paying double what they are yeah. to keep control of it. And then there's other things too where it's like you get um, additions to your influences as well based on neighboring countries that are uh, connected to the area that you're trying to move into. And there's this, uh, there's a bunch of tracks, Joel earlier mentioned, the space race, and that every round you have the option of contributing a card to the space race. And I think the point value of the card affects the, the rolls that you get or something along the line for them. Uh, no, there's, for space race, the card doesn't matter. It's, it's a certain number is required to advance at certain That's points. That's it. So yeah, you yeah. start with only needing twos and then you need to sacrifice threes. And the space race is the only place where you get rid of cards that you don't want to play or yeah. have your opponent somehow eventually see themselves in some of these things. So, um, I actually, f I've, I failed a lot, but I actually finished the face rate, space race. Oh, Got yeah. right to the end. One of the most valuable things in that is you may discard a card. Yeah. A held card at the end of your thing. So you hold on to one of your opponent's cards and throw it in the discard. Exactly. So the, it kind of, sim again, it's this simulation of the Cold War. Is as you're moving up the space race, you're investing in the technology necessary. And you're kind of like, well, it's, here's your reward for putting uh, someone in outer space. And But the biggest part of the game is the whole DEF contract. Oh, yeah. And just like in, um, well, I guess still now, but <laughs> it's uh, there are DEF CON levels. And you are allowed to, in the game, you're allowed to coup regions. And cooing basically just immediately negates whatever your opponent has there. And you're like, okay, well, what's the point of that? I can just do that wherever. Uh-uh. No. Whenever you coup, you, what is it? You raise the DEFCON? It starts at one. It. Yeah, it starts at five. It starts at five and goes. Two is the I can never remember which direction it goes. But worst. Yeah, yeah. So it basically affects it. And then once, as, and the DEFCON track indicates, so after the first one, you're no longer allowed the coup in Europe. It's like, oh, well, there's that. And then the next one's like, you're no longer allowed the coup in the Middle East. And it's like, oh, uh-oh, where am I going? For? And then it just goes down, down until you get to the point where 
Um, if you're sitting at, and the game is supposed to be played at DEF CON 2 most of the time. Yep. And that's where the f one of these wonky situations can occur where who it's if, and this is very explicit in the rules, if it is on your turn and you drop it to DEF CON 1, you've started the nuclear war and you lose. <laughs> it's yeah. your fault. So there are cards where if you're not careful, yeah. you can accidentally drop the DEF CON on your turn and you've lost the game. And if you're not careful, you can actually trigger it by having your opponent do it. So, like, exactly. for example, if you force your opponent to play a card, yeah. but it's your turn, they lower the DEFCON, you lose. It's known as a DEFCON suicide. Yeah. Uh, it's it's awesome game. So much uh, detail to it. But if if I'm going to give it an objective reason why it's it was number one for 10 years, there's there's only one reason, and that's because it's so insanely hard. Yes. <laughs> That's and fair. people That's that are looking for accessible games oh, no. just aren't playing it. So they're not rating it. And if you're not playing it, you're not rating it. And if you are playing it, yeah. you're already at that kind of tier of gamer, I think. And you're going to give it it's a It's like 10. logging back into an old game you never used to play. And it's like the only people playing online are the ones who are obsessed with it. Exactly. Oh, Lord. You're not going to win. It's also a pain to set up. I'll say this. I find it's a real... It, it's not. It's it's a great game, but I look at it on the shelf and I go, oh god, I just remember all those chits and pushing these around and it's like, uh, my hands breaking under the claw of flipping them around. Not to mention, you're not adding chits to increase your number. You're removing a chit and adding a different number yeah. of chit, and they don't have enough chits for four, five, six, seven, and eight. So then you got to do like a four and a three. Yeah, <laughs> it gets a little. <laughs> It's, look, it's a great game, and there's a reason what, like Joel was saying, there's a reason why it's so well received. But it's funny because we were both we were talking about 1960 making of the um, uh, U.S. presidency or yep. whatever, and it's kind of like a sequel of sorts to Twilight Struggle, and a similar sort of situation, except that um, has a bag of cubes you've tossed things into, which represent voters, mm. and it's kind of playing around. I prefer, I almost think that I prefer the idea of the theme of 1960 over the Cold War, but uh, well. I asked Hassan about that, right? Yeah. Because he's clearly a fan, um, and he has played 1960. What do you think? His problem with it is that he doesn't like uh, the events nearly as much because if you're doing 50 years of history, there's a right. lot of interesting stuff to draw from. If you're trying to get 100 cards from a single election, yeah. you're going to have a lot of uninteresting f uh, events. And, and especially, like, I have, I have no idea what was going on in 1960 in the yeah. U.S. with Nixon and Kennedy fighting this out. Yeah, you might have five or, inter five or ten interesting things, but yeah. you can't come up with 100 events in a single election. All right, so what would you... You played it once. What was the... what? Uh, sorry, what country were you? I was the USSR. USSR. So typically, as typical, I started out very strong and then whew, ramped down and then actually had a little bit of a ramp up at the end. Went all the way to the end. How many hours did it take? Three and a half. Three, wow. Verdict at the end of the game. Absolutely loved it. Would have played it again instantly. Really? Yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> Your feet, he, you can't see it, but he's got this look in his eye that's frightening me, actually. It's, it's scaring Jack. <laughs> um, yeah, I would give it uh, 10 out of 10 nuclear uh, destructions. <laughs> 10 out of 10, that's incredible. It's not for everyone, but I think if you... It's not even that heavy, honestly. It's just, very, it's a, just a, a very densely strategic game that... Um, but as far as what you can do, it's super simple. Yeah. Just like you, you have card, play the card. Do you want the the event or the ops? What is it? I would say don't 
learn it from a, a rule book. Try to find somebody that knows it, and they'll teach it to you. Uh, don't ask me. <laughs> I've only played once. I don't yeah. think I could teach it. The app is pretty cheap. You can usually find that reasonably inexpensive, and they do have a tutorial there, and it's it'll help you, give you an idea of what you're doing at least. Yeah, and I'll say that Hassan, shout out to him, was a super nice host. Nice. Very nice about it, but probably had to correct me when I tried to do things nine or ten times it happens for example you try to move somewhere adjacent and then you forget that that place wasn't adjacent before you started and you try to move to somewhere adjacent to that and it's like, oh hold up you weren't adjacent to that when you started this yeah, yeah, yeah. etc etc there's a lot of things so cold war cop cold yep. war reference. cold war cop yeah all right so let's move on from twilight struggle to a different sort of struggle <laughs> uh a struggle of free time and interest um Joel, you got to sit down, and how long did it last for? It wasn't bad. We played the long game, so that's to 14 points. Which is insane. And it was still, we started, uh, we physically started the game at 11.30, even though we were all meeting at 10. Mm -hmm. And it went till 7.20. Not bad. Really not bad. But about eight hours. Yeah. Twilight Imperium. Twilight Imperium 3, which is uh, actually... Now that I've played four and gone back, quite different. Like as far as the victory points, like for example, missions. They don't or quests. They don't come up every round. They come up only when you play number eight. And if you don't play number eight, they'll like bank up. And so like for three rounds, nobody plays the number eight strategy card. Mm-hmm. Then bam, three objectives come up, hmm. which is super awesome if you've played eight because you can fulfill any of them that you meet the requirements for Hmm. Um, otherwise it's just one per turn you're limited to one secret objective as opposed to what was it like three in the other one i think you you can have three but you can only do maybe two or one of them i forget there's some sort of yeah it's been a while there's no temporary victory point for mechatol Mm mm-hmm uh, Mechatol Rex, if you guys don't know much about Twilight Struggle, is the giant planet <laughs> in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, giant planet in the middle that you're all supposed to be fighting for, but somehow no one ever manages to <laughs> go in there Because it's, it. it's a death sentence. You yeah. show up there, and then all of a sudden, it's like... Well, and then you turn. it turns into one of those things where it's like... So you show up there, and then you get chased away, and then the person who sh- chased you away gets chased away by somebody else. And just like this weird game of like a hot potato where you just want to hold Mechatol Rex. Yeah, you want to be there, you want to hold it, and then you want to get Imperial and you want to flip the strategy card, get <laughs> that quick point, and get the hell out. <laughs> just try to smash and grab. But it's almost like you want to just forget that those units exist and just yeah. let somebody come and kill them and then just focus on other stuff. Yeah. Um, in case you aren't familiar with the game Twilight Imperium, it's a giant 4X, maybe the the most famous one out there at the moment, um, yep. which is Expand, Sadly. Explore, uh, Exploit, and Exterminate. And the premise is you're in a galaxy, and it's made up of these lovely hexes, even though I wish they were bigger, sometimes clearer. But, and everyone has, every faction ha- or every race has their own special ability, and you're all trying to get to the... Uh, end of the victory point track or the most victory points when the game ends which depending on the card draw could be quite early like what happened to joel the one time or quite late um another time so it's a it is a behemoth of a game and i don't know i still don't know if i how i feel about it it's a neat game but yeah like you say it's insanely popular and 
I think um how do i put this yeah. uh i would say that for those of you out there that twilight imperium is your favorite game uh people like colby um <laughs> i i put it in the same category as people like Catan is their favorite yeah. game it's because they don't know any better oh geez <laughs> harsh <laughs> i know uh, alienating our listeners i'm sure but uh it's a it's a it's an unpopular opinion it's but, just I can't even think of other like four X's that do the same thing though yeah. as as um, I think Twilight it's just Imperium too complicated. I mean, I'm not saying like we struggle, but like like I was saying to Jack <clears> over uh, sort of giving him updates through the game. There was a guy that had played over a dozen games, and he accidentally cheated probably six or seven times. And it was like even even times like where we didn't approach him, he said, "Oh shoot, guys, I just yeah. did this," yeah, yeah, yeah. and he has to go back. And if you've played a dozen games, you still can't play the game. It's the game. It's not you. The manual is <laughs> gigantic. The next one, like the the fourth edition, comes with two books. By the way, um, <laughs> just to kind of try and f- yeah. scare you a bit more. It, it's it's it is so fiddly and. Uh, I I mentioned I uh, I was talking to someone after Megasiv about this and I was just saying uh, commenting on how Twilight Imperium for me is just kind of a bit of a slog because I find it goes on too long mm-hmm. and I can I feel like you're the there's so much rules overhead and so much stuff going on that I can barely pay attention to my own things let alone worry about what other people are up to beyond the space risk element which I hate 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 about Twilight Imperium Ugh, that eventually yeah. boils down to just a giant army a giant space army swooping across and doing something and I think why this is so dumb and clunky where it just turned into this, I'm chucking dice and somebody who sat on a few turns building a bunch of things just screwed up everything so what's this what's the counter to that oh you sit a couple of turns and build up a bunch of things and then you, you still lose because <laughs> and then you chuck dice at them i i think there should be fleet maintenance that's yeah. the thing that i i swear would the be dice would balance it. being a d10 too and yeah yeah you're right you can absolutely just build up as big a ball there's as you no want. penalty you have your fleet limit i guess but you can just make that bigger you can increase it yeah and so it's seven versus seven of giant space fleets, include, and then you throw in the fighters after that. And, yeah, you're each rolling. I had a fight that was 13 dice against 17 dice. Oh, my God. And everybody rolled so well that the entire fleet got wiped before a second round. It was Holy just like, smokes. Okay, all your stuff's dead. All my stuff is dead. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Can you taste it, folks? It's like... And it's also the fact that physically it's very difficult to play too because the colors, um, I think the 4th edition maybe brightens some elements of it, but it's a very dark, slightly muted color scheme on these hexes. Mm -hmm. And they're loaded with this stuff too. So so they're oftentimes when it's almost like there's so much crap on the board itself that you stop paying (laughs) attention to what's on it because it just like, it's like almost like uh, staring at static on a TV for enough time that you just like, you don't even see it anymore. It's just, just, what does it mean? Don't even see the code. Well, I will say, Jack, that I did enjoy four player. And I would say that. um, Was that all it was? Yeah, taking a step back from Twilight Imperial in general, general, I feel like with all these big games, epic games, yeah. like uh, big game, I'll say Dark Moon, yeah. Mega Civ, these kind of games, uh, you feel like you you need to play it in its most epic form, which is eight players, right? which is seven, 18 players, which is seven players. I really, really enjoy... The tightness and the strategy that goes into a four-player game. Yeah, of interesting. These games. Interesting. 
Dark Moon at four players with only one infected. It's my favorite way to play it. Even though seven player is still awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mega Civ, when we had those six player games, we have two six player games. That was tight, yeah. And they were they were fast. Yeah. We all had a chance. We were all having a good time. Yeah. Low downtime on stuff. I don't really see much of a downtime downside to it. Yeah. It's, yeah. That's an interesting way to put it. I never would have considered Twilight Imperium to be like that. But now that you, as soon as you mention it, it's like, yeah, in fact, that's probably, maybe that's a more elegant way to put it. But for me, because we come at the game from a different perspective where I want more, I like the the politicking. I like yeah. the idea of the, the shouting and screaming and backstabbing people through votes and things. Whereas you find it the most tedious part, right? Like it goes on too long. We only and it, had like two votes this game like, which is I, I thought like it's easier to get votes and weren't the... pulling that card oh i see. cared people had other stuff to do yeah but for me that's what i find that that's the part of twilight Imperium that i find half-baked or undercooked yeah is i prefer more of that and less of the fighting where the fights should be more game of thrones style in the sense of the fight was decided before it even happened because uh, yeah. of the the machinations behind the scene and maybe something like if we finally if we ever get to play dune which i'm i've really would love to get out on the table because there's Rex which is the recreation of Dune but I've heard that's like they they screwed up and it's not it's still not as good as the original so it's like all right time to time to print and play <laughs> or something Let's give it a like, go give it a go but anyway what, so you can't get Dune no no it's way way out of print but there are plenty of ways to make your own copy and there are even some yeah. using the Rex board too so um but what's the verdict on this game of Twilight Imperium what would you give it I think Twilight Imperium is still kind of bad, <laughs> but I still had a lot of fun, so I don't, know, I don't know what to say, you know? No, that's a perfect way to describe it. It's a, I, there, I like plenty of bad games that are still fun. It's, yeah. uh, it's it was just no like Shadow, it was no Shadow, Shadow Hunters. Hunters, but it was still kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> and less than eight hours, so yeah. come on. It's a lock. Flew by and I still had time to go to the Oscars. Pretty good, but that's uh, that's a mainstream conversation. But surely, we... surely you've been playing something lately, Jake. Well, why don't we? We'll take a music break and okay. then uh, we'll come back. But um, stay tuned.
Welcome back to CFRU 93.3 FM. What you just heard was Product 29, brackets, 101, bracket, by Aphex Twin from the album Zero from 2015. Very funky little track. I've, fallen, I've re-fallen in love with this album. Why is Aphex Twin so creepy all the time? You <laughs> see his face in his music video. <laughs> He's just got grin. that insane too the the grin that's too large and i don't know i think he uh i think he's a weird cat in general but uh, there's something disconcerting about a uh, ginger from cornwall that just won't stop smiling and <laughs> i think the have you ever seen the window liquor music video no it, it is one of the greatest music videos of all time it's not for everyone it's like 15 minutes long i think because like a good um five minutes or six minutes at the start is this long drawn out scene set in like LA or something where two guys are trying to pick up these two girls on, on the oh, side of the road and they're yelling at each other. And then yeah. this, the impossibly large stretch limo <laughs> comes down and uh, then and it it's just, just like three minutes. of Yeah. The limo just going. And then <laughs> it stops with like the window going down like, and as it goes down, this, he's just there in the limo, like half in the shadows, just with that crazy grin on his face, just staring at them wearing this white, like, kind of like, I don't know, it's not even a suit. It's like a just white uh, linen shirt and white pants. And he's got his umbrella and he's just dancing around in his ponytail. It is fantastic. It is such a good music video. Not for everyone, but the music. Oh, Check it out. Oh, my God. If you want to learn about Jack, what's the, what's the song again? Window Licker. Window Licker by Aphex Twin. Yeah, watch the video. Uh, again, um, this is a caveat. It's not for everyone <laughs> for a variety of reasons, but uh, I think it's hilarious. Well, that's the thing. You don't like something, you can just turn it off. Yeah, turn it off. It's it's meant. Keep in mind, too, if you do decide to look at it, it is meant to be a parody of hip-hop videos at the time as well. And when you keep that in mind, too, that this strange British take, especially the director of it, who has did also did the fantastic Come to Daddy music video, <laughs> which is legit scary. Just this bunch of children wearing Aphex Twin masks chasing this old lady in this British apartment block and this strange monstrous um, kind of like, do you remember um, uh, what was the fourth alien uh, flick? Alien Resurrection. But at the end of the movie, they've cloned a mix between the, the Xenomorph and the Xenomorph Queen and, and Ripley. And it's a strange, very translucent skinned looking monstrous creature. Anyway, so there's an Apex Twin version of that that comes out of a television and cradles children. And it's like, oh, nice. It's lovely. Anyway. Come to daddy. Come to daddy. Come. Anyway, uh, before we left, we were talking about Twilight Imperium and Twilight Struggle. This has been, it was a heavy uh, bit of time for us because hmm. um, I, I got to do something that. I've been wanting to play for a while, and I think it was on my list of the games I want to finally get onto the table. Mm. And I got to finally play Sekigahara Unification of Japan. Oh, yeah, that was one of them. It was one of them. Sekigahara! Set in a period of time (laughs) in Japan when there were uh, basically a clash for power, and the, the... Two strong factions rose up, and the ultimate battle took place in the place called Sekigahara. And that was when, I believe, the Tokugawa shogunate became supreme, defeating uh, Toyotomi and the rest of his (laughs) traitorous uh, friends. But it is a GMT war game, and rather than playing with cards and chits, you have this gorgeous map board. And you have, it's a two-player game again. So just like Twilight Struggle, it's you and your opponent. That's it. And one of you takes on the role of Tokugawa and the other one takes on the role of Toyotomi. And you play 
Um, you've got cards in your hand, but the cards correspond to what they call um, the clan or the daimyo uh, sort of symbols representing their their clan, their house, uh, otherwise known as mon. And what happens is you have these beautiful blocks, nice wooden blocks that took forever to, you have to peel stickers off and fix them to the side of the blocks. Mm. And one side is golden and the other side is black. And each of the blocks have um, a single daimyo's symbol on it, but it can be different varying amounts. So it might be one, might be two, might be three. And there are also some leaders and they have a, a banner. Um, Nobu Nori? No, anyway. And the banner indicates it's a leader. And the leaders provide certain bonuses as well in here. And the whole game is played by you draw cards and you look at your hand. And after you bid for turn order, you look at your hand and you've got a list of actions you can do. And they all revolve around movement. And you can either do a limited or a, a free movement, which doesn't cost you a card. And you're allowed to move one stack of blocks. And when I mention blocks, it's important because you can see all your blocks, those side with your symbols on them and their strength. And but you can't see your opponents. All you can mm. see is how much is in that place. Now different areas are going to be more connected to different things because you can recruit blocks every round that have shown up from the recruitment box. But you can either recruit all of the blocks belonging to the one clan and put them where they're supposed to be, or you can take one block that doesn't belong there and put it anywhere that you mm. would recruit otherwise. So when somebody takes an irregular block, they have to reveal that it's irregular. Then they put it wherever they want. Uh, but if they take whatever it's, uh, it's supposed to be, then you can assume you know what symbols those are, but they all show up there. So you have these cards in your hand, and you have to, um, basically, uh, you move your blocks around, and you're trying to take castles and take uh, area points that are considered for resources. You move them around, and your, your economy is your, the cards in your hand, so you have to be very, very careful with how quickly you spend them, because you can also do one where you discard a card, and that lets you do a limited movement where you can move three stacks of blocks, Ooh. certain spaces, uh, but you're allowed to muster, which is you go into the recruitment box and you can add stuff. And then you can do total movement where you drop two cards or discard two and you can move everything and then you can muster as well. And if you move your blocks into a place where they end their turn next to or, or in the same spot as your opponent's blocks, a fight breaks out. At that point, the game really kicks into high gear because now you are engaged in some giant samurai battles with your opponent and uh, without getting too far into the weeds because there's a couple little tricks to it, but you are taking a card in your hand that matches the symbol of the blocks that you have there and you play the card and then you take your block and you reveal it and then you add up power based on how many symbols are on that block. So if I play this one and it's got two of these symbols, that's two power. And then your opponent gets to respond as long as they have less power than you do. And you go back and forth. But the trick is that you're rewarded for having multiple blocks of the same symbol type. Which is kind of symbolizing like the idea of a single unified army versus a bunch of different mm -hmm. goons that got together and th after the pub were like, let's go invade somewhere. So when you, whenever you match them, for every other block that matches it, you get extra power. So let's say I play the exact same symbol and I put another block that is three on it. So that's three plus two, that's five, but I get another bonus one because I already have a block out there that matched it. And you can keep going and escalating on it. So if I did another one, it's another whatever that it was plus two. So you keep going back and forth while you've got this stuff and eventually someone's going to run out of cards or decide they don't want to play anymore. And after that, for every seven damage you did to your opponent, uh, they have to kill a block. 
and vice versa. So you may have won the fight, but you still took a lot of damage. You have to remove blocks. Mm. And if you beat somebody, they automatically lose a block as well. And that's the main flow of the game. But it's very, very tight because there are, I think, only seven official turns. And each turn has an A and a B part where you can each person gets to do two things. And your card draw is very limited. You're only getting five cards per turn, maybe six, if you have more castles than your opponent. So you have to be very careful mm. at how you're spending it. And, but the trick is that when you start a fight, every card you play in a fight, you get the draw back and get new stuff for. So it encourages you to be very aggressive. At the same time, you have to be careful with your card composition because big deal if you decided to start a fight. Um, but if you draw a whole bunch of random cards, you're kind of screwed because the game encourages you to have armies of single types or couple types. Is there any incentive to throw a fight and just throw away all your things that don't match up? Well, you can't play it if they don't match, army. though. That's the problem. So uh -huh. you can, can't even use it if, because basically they're saying, it's like you'd be shouting, Joel, come on and fight with me. But Joel didn't show up to the fight. Why? What are you doing? He's not here. Oh, sorry. What I meant was, uh, let's say you have like three of one type. Yep. And you want more of that type. Right. So you throw away all the ones that aren't that type. Yeah. So you could try that if you want. And there's an actual move where you're allowed to discard down, but it's still blind oh, draws okay. from the top. Um, but because time is so precious in the game, and turn order is so important that maybe you spend a turn trying to build up your hypothetical dream deck. Your opponent decided to swoop in and steal a castle while you were sitting there trying to, like, basically doing bookkeeping inside mm. and trying to get a bunch of drunken samurai to get together and, and fight. So there were a couple, to, and the, the last thing they're into the mix is that there's something called loyalty cards. Mm. And they're very rare uh, as far as the deck composition goes. But what happens is, is that when we're playing these cards, at some point, if you've got one of these cards in your hand and your opponent puts down something, you can say, mm, loyalty challenge. And basically what that is is that you're testing the the strength of this person's loyalty to the, your opponent, and they have to show another card that matches that same symbol. Mm. If they can't, they change turn sides, and now they're on your team, and you take all their bonuses from them. Nice. So with judicious use of these, basically, is he a traitor? cards you can get away with something and i did once to kaylin want to fight and she did something once to me and she won a fight because of it and it's all about kind of waiting to the last minute because you're more likely to because there's less cards less in cards hand. in their hand and the odds are less likely so it's almost like you have to be very careful you want to put your best stuff first because somebody might try to loyalty challenge something at the end when you're lower on cards or you bait them out into it but either way and you've got the card and you've got the card so it's a really fascinating little game and it's genuinely beautiful and the rules overhead is, you may not have gotten it from my kind of long-winded and rambling explanation, but it's very simple. The, mm. the, the manual itself, um, or the, the, yeah, manual, is only like, I'd say about six pages of actual things. And a lot of them, there's tons of examples and very sort of going into detail about. That's always good. Yeah. So. I like to see um, sort of the, a rule book that the content of the rule book could have been two pages, but they spent a lot of time to Absolutely. explain. Give me more. Like, yeah. But at the same time, it's like, don't flood it, but make the rules simple. And the GMT rule books, generally speaking, are fantastic for this stuff. Like mm. hyper-organized. Like their technical writing is usually top-notch because it's all broken down into sections and subsections. And you can usually, there's a glossary usually where you can look up stuff too. But yeah, like you're saying, but com let's compare and contrast to something like Spirit Island, for example, where it's... It, I think it's through the 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 layout. It almost makes it more difficult to understand what's going on and the, how the game doesn't tell you what does it start with. It doesn't start how the win or like certain things until like halfway through. There's what was the quirk that we were looking at when we were 
Oh man, there's so many. Like, uh, for example, uh, when you lay down your presence, it gives you a number on the board. But then when you spread, uh, like it tells you to start on your board, but it doesn't necessarily t- tell you, oh, just go wherever you want. Yeah. That. And maybe that's just stuff like playtesters kind of like, uh, it's second nature to whoever's doing it. And they're not even thinking when they're writing it, but it's like, oh. I've never played the game before. It makes zero sense to me. But anyway, Psychic Gahara, fantastic. Loved it. Um, and it, it's odds are, if you get a chance to play it, try it. But it is unlike anything you've ever played, guaranteed. And but it's way simpler than it looks. And don't be don't be scared. Because this idea of um, of blocks where you can see the number of enemies your opponent has, but you don't know how strong they are. Yeah, sounds exactly like. Uh, sort of like well it's it's obviously just a small element of the game because it's the cards and everything else but did you ever play admirals when you were a kid no i think it was re yeah it's re it's remade into stratego oh okay i know it's stratego yeah it's stratego so you've got the blocks and you can see what's the numbers on exactly and you throw them at each other and you're trying to hunt down the general or something which one wins Yeah, yeah yeah exactly and kill the general you win so in that case are you trying to maybe like you've only got two or three here and you kind of like try to make it appear weak so that somebody will go in and then they're all fives or something like it's, that. It's, it's, there's a certain amount of strategy, that sort of stuff. And similar to Tigo, they're actually points, they're instant win conditions. So if either of the enemy leaders, you manage to kill them, then you just huh. win right away. So the one for, um, Toyotomi, you can never move him. So he's always in this one castle. So obviously mm, there's so just like, just <laughs> there's just a huge stat. Yeah. They, I know where you are, but it's like, uh, that's a lot of bloody people. <laughs> I'll, co- I'll come back later. <laughs> and versus uh, for to- uh, Tokugawa, he, you you want to kind of put him into the mix and have him out doing stuff because the cool thing about leaders are that you never need a card to play them. Mm-hmm. So you can, inst- as long as you haven't played a card yet, which is just a quirk of the rules, but basically it's, it's um, simulating the leaders running in the battle first. So as long as you put your leaders out first, you never have to play a card for them. Mm-hmm. But with that guy, for example, you're revealing like, oh, he's in that stack. So theoretically, your opponent could like, oh, like try to swoop in on them. But there is something in the game called overrunning, which is a cool idea. And that's if you, if at any time you ever have four times as many blocks in that space as your opponent, you instantly win a fight. Hmm. So that can be a couple of ways that can happen, but it's kind of this thing where you want to keep yourself strong. You never want to just have like two people in a spot because it's like, eh, I'll just swoop eight people in and just try to force march them and yeah, then just overrun just you. They just lose. That's it. So little things like that. But there is this element of baiting people in because especially if you have, like you're saying, if you have a small, like let's say you just have three or four, but oh, that's three, 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 and maybe a leader. And I've got some loyalty cards here. It's like, that's going to be a tough fight. Yep. And you can maybe bait them into something there. But it was it was a really neat game. What does the map look like? Looks like Japan. Oh, nice. <laughs> it looks like, like Edo. How so, many regions would you say? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Maybe six. Six, okay. So, so they're pretty tight, kind of like Kemet. 
as far oh, as... Oh, no, no, no. I mean more like there's tons of spaces on the boards. Oh, okay. But, and there, it's, it is tough to move because there are highways which increase your movement. And if you have a leader with you, your movement's increased as well. Um, but there are penalties. As soon as you have blocks over a certain size, like once you hit five and more, you start... So every for every group of four you have with them, the army is slower. Ah. So it encourages you to be mobile in certain times too. So just so many little things that kind, cool. just make sense too. Mobility versus force. Exactly. Outflanking them. Outflanking, you can definitely do it. So again, really neat little game. Um, and I think we can both have a quick chat about something similar in the dying minutes of the show here. We both played Concordia recently. Oh, yeah. Um, which we've talked about on the show before as being, I think we both absolutely love this game or yeah. think it's fantastic. Every uh, time we bring it up, it's like, man. It's a tr- tremendous, so good. it's tremendous design. And just, you're looking at it when you play it, you go, A, it's pretty. Um, B, you feel like there's so much strategy. <laughs> like you actually feel like there's ton- tons of fate. Like there's plenty of rope for you to hang yourself with if you're not careful. Yeah, but it's also super accessible. Yeah. You teach it to people that don't play games. They want to actually play it again. They'll ask you to play it again. Yeah. So Joel, I was telling him about this the other night. I picked up Concordia Venus, which is kind of the new version of Concordia there. Mm-hmm. And there are a couple of little changes. One of the big ones is there's team play that you can do. So if you, this is more of a, a shout out to anyone. If you, you're a Concordia fanatic, you can pick up the Venus expansion, which allows for this stuff as well. But then you can kind of break it up and have the multiplayer Concordia experience where, and the way it works is you play a card and has two actions on it and you can choose one and then your opponent or your opponent, your friend, uh, your partner takes the other action and everyone kind of does the same thing from there. The one thing I know is right away though with the game, and I don't know if I told you this, <clears throat> excuse me, was that they screwed up the design on the wine. Uh-oh. And um, the the shape is the same, but for some reason they made the color look too close to actual wine. So the original game, it's a bright red and very red, easy yeah. to distinguish. And it's like, okay, we know wine's not that color. We don't need to be hyper-realistic on this little wine meeple. In this one, they went to a very ruddy, dark red. Now, the problem with that is, is that what else is very dark in that game as far as the pieces? The The cloth? The bricks. Oh, yeah. And they're they're virtually the same color. That it, Like, if you were to just, like, tw- turn your head real quick, it's they look the same almost. So and it's just the shape. It's just the shape that you're almost... Uh, not, there is a, a shade difference, but when you're quickly grabbing for something, it gives you pause because it's like, <laughs> why did they make it that close? It's such a strange decision that I think it's a production error, to be honest. Yeah, There's no other way to explain it. Games. Yeah. It's like, you need colors. It's yeah. pretty standard. And Concordia is so bright and colorful to begin with, too. It's like, yeah. we don't care about the realism anywhere else. Why did we suddenly, for the wine, <laughs> like start to do that? But anyway, it's... When you played Concordia recently, what were your thoughts on it? Loved it. It's just as always, uh, it's probably it's. I haven't done it in a while, but it's it's probably in my top five. Tons of replayability too. Yeah. Tremendous little game. Mac Gertz, who's done a lot of other stuff too, but Concordia remains a classic. I think we were, we had a brief conversation about this. I want to do it for real. Maybe not the next show, but maybe the week after that. Um, I think I want to do the the maybe top five or essential games or like if you mm. if you get this game you don't need to get another one you could yeah. have a collection of just these it ten. Sp- a game that kind of spans yeah. the genre of a certain type yeah and is one of the best ones and probably yeah would cover if you were to look around before we go we got some quick news griffcon is coming up april the 6th to 8th and on the 7th i believe on saturday we are hosting 
What are we hosting, Jack? Mega Civ, 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 Civ. Yeah, so if you're a listener and you're in the Guelph area, you can go on griffcon.org and you can actually sign up to the sign up to the game yourself right now. Griffcon, what is it, Joel? April 7th? Yep. April 7th, Mega Civ. Be there, be square. It's going to be based on first come, first serve. If there's severe demand, we might consider opening up a bit more. Right now it's only nine. And, and that's seven slots because there's the two of us. Exactly, so... Time's a ticking, folks. Get in there. If Have it's a good full one. and people are asking us, we'll consider, we'll, we'll it. consider it. Anyway, I'm Jack. I'm Joel. Have a good one.